Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Sergeant Pat Greenhill of the Berea Police Department, who's the program coordinator for community engagement and also their local sponsor for Perry. So, Pat, welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay. We also have Nicole Walmsley here, and this is an encore kind of appearance with us. This is her second podcast that she's going to participate in, Um, and she's been the champion of the Police Assisted Addiction and Recovery Initiative, better known as Perry for the state of Ohio. So, uh, Nicole, again, welcome. Thank you. Okay. So, Sergeant, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about Perry and how you happen to get involved? Um, You know, Perry is a national organization, and um, it was founded in Gloucester, Massachusetts, to um, support the um, activities of the Gloucester Police Department that had come up with a, a program to assist uh, people who were heroin or opiate addicted uh, get into treatment um, because of the epidemic that they had there. Um, and it came to our attention because a, a local resident in Olmstead Township, which is a neighboring city of ours, um, knew about the program uh, and wanted to uh, bring it to our attention. So she contacted both us and the Olmstead Township Police Departments. And uh, we were very interested in the program from the beginning. Um, and it just so happened I was having lunch one day with the chief from Olmstead Township, and the two of us didn't even know that we were individually looking at the program. And we brought it up, and, and it, we just started talking about it. And from there, we decided on the spot that both both departments would partner together and and kind of tackle this together and and put put a program, um, you know, basically basically from you know a, a regional perspective. Um, you know, we were the first two agencies in Cuyahoga County to, um, to actually run the program, um, but that's how it started. It was just a local resident who's uh, Barb Folds, so I always like to give a shout out to Barb, so thank you for getting us involved, Barb. Excellent. Um, her grandson um, had died from a heroin overdose a year before, and so she wanted us to have it, you know, on our radar. Terrific. So you tag-teamed it. That's a unique kind of thing. Now, Nicole, you've worked throughout the state bringing this uh, program to many communities. Have you seen the tag team before with um, other communities? I think no. this is a new one, a no. new wrinkle. This, they're the first uh, to partner up together in the county yeah. and work together instead of maybe against each other competition. I see that once in a while. But, yeah, I love it that they're working together. It makes 
makes my job easier as well as theirs. Sure, that's pretty cool. That's great. So when did you start the, the program? When did when was this the, the day when you sat down, you talked about it, and then from there you got it off the ground? Tell yeah, us a little bit was, about that. Pat. So it was about May of this year was when um, Barb brought it to our attention. And I think that was the first time, you know, I, I emailed Nicole and just, you know, introduced myself and said, you know, we would very much like to meet with you. And she came in, sat down with uh, my chief um, and the chief from Homestead Township. And you just kind of gave us a rundown as to what the program was and what it would take to get it off the ground in each of our cities. And from there, we started putting some pieces in place. Um, but we realized that the epidemic was so bad in our area, in, in Cuyahoga County. It's throughout the state. But in our area, it was so bad that we decided to begin intakes without even having a full program in place. So August what is, 3rd. What does that mean for our listeners? What what does that mean? An intake? Intake, yeah. Yeah, an intake, a program participant, it would be a person that would come into either our, our police station or Olmstead Township or, or any of the other peri-affiliated agencies and ask for help. Um, and that's, you know, an, an intake is, is what we call the process. Um, it's just some paperwork that we fill out um, to um, be able to facilitate getting them assistance. Yeah. So... With with Perry, basically, they can bring everything, somebody that wants help. Mm -hmm. They can bring lock, stock, and barrel. They can bring their needles. They can bring mm -hmm. paraphernalia, heroin, right to the precinct and say, here. Well, here's they could. But here's what we tell people, too. Um, don't do that. Because the last thing we want to do is encourage someone to transport something like that. And then they get stopped on a traffic stop two cities over. And next thing you know, they're in jail. Okay. But theoretically, um, they theor could and they would yes. have amnesty. Yes. Right? And what and what we do ask is just to notify us. And we will go and we will retrieve it for you. And we will destroy it. And there will be no charges. I mean, it, it isn't... In that sense, there there are no charges if people are willing to turn in either drugs or paraphernalia. So they don't have to come to the front doors of the precinct. They could do it in the privacy of their own home and just call you and say, come on over here. And that's where the, it would be initiated? We would prefer that if they're going to do the intake itself, we would prefer that they come to our police agency because there are some things that we have to do paperwork-wise that it's a lot easier for us to do at our station. Um, it's also where our officers are. Yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a lot harder for us to send our officers outside of the area to do an intake. Um, because we've had people, we don't really have, um, a set border on our program right now. We've had people come from Summit County up to Cuyahoga County for mm -hmm. our program. So it's a lot easier. I can't send an officer off the road out of Berea to Akron to do an intake there. Um, but if it was a situation where we had to, retrieve, you know, um, whether it's paraphernalia or drugs or whatever, we can make arrangements for that. But the intake itself, it'd be much easier if they did come to our station. Okay. So I understand that you've implemented Perry just a little differently here in Berea than what they have in other programs. I think you mentioned two different flavors of it. Can you go into that? Well, there's a couple different models. You, models. you have the, yeah, yeah, you have the Gloucester model and you have the Arlington model. And um, we originally had intended to to go along more along the lines of the, the Gloucester model, which is a person comes in, you do the intake, and um, you contact detox and send them off for treatment. And that's that's pretty much the, the sum total of your program, um, where we decided we wanted to go a little further. Um, and um, our agency, we don't have social workers embedded within our agency. 
Um, but what we knew was that there would be services available to people that they aren't even aware of that we want to connect them to. So it, we wanted to have more of a comprehensive program. So we're doing it a little, little more along the lines of what they do in an Arlington model. And it took a lot of meetings and a lot of um, partnerships with uh, community agencies um, and selecting our partners um, to be able to put those pieces in place. And we're still putting those pieces in place. Um, it's not a, a finished product yet. Okay. So when it is a finished product, what are some of the additional features that it'll, it'll, the program, program will have? Well, you know, what we did was we, we reached out to some of the um, insurance providers trying to bring them on board um, because they know their agreements with uh, treatment uh, facilities, with hospitals, much better than we would. Um, so having them as a partner has, has already um, proved very valuable. Um, what we've also done is reached out to um, agencies such as the Visiting Nurse Association, the VNA in Cleveland, um, looking to bring them in from a medical perspective to assist us. Um, so on the, on, I guess what I refer to it as uh, the back end of our program, whenever our, our goal is to have a program in place with the VNA that whenever someone comes back from treatment, we can have the VNA visit them at home and link them, help us link them with social services because they would send out a nurse to their home and the nurse would give them not only um, uh, a, uh, a physical, basically a physical assessment, um, but then be able to link them up with social services in their area. Again, I keep going back to things that they are are um, eligible to receive that they don't even know about. Um, and so that was another reason why it was important to have the insurance providers involved because a lot of times people are, are entitled to things through their insurance that they don't even realize. Sure. I'll give you one small example. We had one of our our um, program participants who just by getting their insurance company involved actually got them in uh, uh, with a doctor <laughs> uh, for um, a medical assessment and also um, uh, got them um, some uh, assistance with their dental. Uh, actually, they now have a dentist and a doctor, a family doctor, which they didn't have before. Yeah. Um, so again, it's trying to address some of those comprehensive needs, not just the the actual treatment itself, which you know obviously is is the core, but but we want to be able to provide a little more. That's great. And again, that's not necessarily coming from the police department. It's just us having community partners that we can link people to. Okay. So how many people have come into the program since you launched Perry in Berea? Yeah, so our first was August 3rd. And uh, since that time, I believe the current number as of today is 37, wow. since August 3rd. 37. 37. And just as a rough percent, mm-hmm. how many from your community versus outside the community? From the city of Berea itself, yeah. Um, city of Berea itself, I think it's probably made about ten percent. Yeah, yeah, it's about about four or five people, so it's about ten percent. The rest are from outside, but we've had people from as close as as one city over in Middleburg Heights. Um, you know, all the way out to you know, again, you know, we're talking Akron and some some in that area, but not from anything much farther than that because we do have other peri affiliate agencies that are doing a great job. I mean, we're, we're not the only ones out there doing this. There's a lot of great agencies out there doing this, this same work. Sure. We just wanted to help build a little bit more of a template so that other agencies can see what we've done and then maybe customize it for themselves to see what resources are available for them. Okay. So for those 37 people, how have they done? So because we've only been um, you know, active since August 3rd, I know that we now have 
five, I think, that have completed treatment. I think we're at five. We might be at six that have completed treatment. I'd have to go back and check my records. Um, and then, you know, we've had a few people that were what I would say, um, like we would say they're ineligible for the program. And that's very rare. We consider everyone on a case-by-case basis. But there are some things that might disqualify people from the program. Like what? Um, an extensive history of drug trafficking. Um, it has to be an extensive history, though. Um, I don't turn them away. I just it limits us being able to yeah. send them out of state. Yeah, we don't turn them away. Yeah, look, yeah, please let me let me let me make that clear too. We don't turn anyone away. Um, we will provide them with access to resources. So um, it just it's more along the lines of how we can handle their their particular case, and it's all done on a case by case assessment. Um, but it's you know with people who are a registered sex offender, um, you know like a, an ex- a history of violent crime. Things of that nature. Because, again, those are the treatment centers that we work with. Those are their rules. So we have to respect our partners um, and, and their their own rules. So that just limits us what we can do. Okay. So it's too early to tell the overall effectiveness. But as you move forward, you're, you'll probably have some metrics that you'll be measuring mm-hmm. your performance against. Can you share some of those? Yeah, you know, it, it, that's an interesting question because, you know, we had a conversation with Dr. Adelman um, from um, St. Vincent's, um, a charity hospital. And, you know, we're still trying to determine all of the metrics that we want to measure. And we're going to probably base a lot of what we measured off of what they were measuring at St. Vincent's. Part of it is, here's the question. What's considered a success if someone's sober for six months? A year, 10 years, because how long are you going to actually be able to track them through your program? How long are you going to be able to keep in touch? Um, because you could have a person that you know, three, four, six months out, they, they were sober, but then you lose track of them. So if you've lost track of them and you normally want to look at a year, do you now consider that not a success? So there's a lot of things like that that we have to determine. Um, you know, even just defining a success for us. Um, and, and so those are some of the things, some of the growing pains that we've had, you know, having to learn all of the pieces we have to put in place. And, you know, the, the, when you approach a project like this, you have to be open. You have to be open to see where you're succeeding and where you're not. And when you're not, then you have to be able to adapt. And that's, and that's what we've been doing on a regular basis. Um, you know, we didn't know a lot. Um, and it's been a, it's been an amazing educational experience for us. But we hope on uh, when we're done that we can hand a program to other agencies in the state of Ohio, just so almost like a plug and play, so that whenever they are interested in this, all they have to do is look at the pieces we put in place and then adapt it to their community. So um, you probably come across in your profession a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, associates, if you will, fellow police officers who are in the mode of what I call cops and robbers, playing cops and robbers, which is let's go out and arrest them. Let's, you know, they made bad choices. Um, they're, they're not going to change. Let's arrest them and throw the book at them. So for this program, obviously, you have to have a complete change of heart. How do you approach that with them? Well, you know, what was interesting, you know, when we first decided that we wanted to do this program, we went to our officers and gave them kind of a, a, a brief explanation of what it was. And we asked for volunteers who wanted to be involved in the program. So before we even really informed them very much about what the program was, we had over half our department volunteer to be intake officers, which I thought was fantastic. You know, out of a, a 28 member department, we had close to 20 officers volunteer before we'd even done anything. 
I mean, after that, you know, we had Nicole come in and, and um, do some training for each of our shifts. And it, it's interesting to watch the process as we go through and the changing mindsets, right? I think it made a difference when Nicole came in and talked to them. Um, and one of the stories I shared with her was, you know, when we had um, a call of an overdose. Uh, now, this is probably going on a month ago now. Um, to see the officers responding to the call and the urgency with which they responded. So, you know, basically um, going from that cops and robbers idea to, you know, really emphasizing to them, you know, our number one responsibility in law enforcement is the preservation of life. That's our number one responsibility. And that's what we're doing. So when you engage them in that mindset, they get it. They get it. And that resonates with them. This is this is someone, it's, it's a you know, brother, a sister, mother, father, you name it. Um, that's our number one responsibility is to preserve life. So when you engage that mindset and she came in and told her story, it's a palpable difference in our department. Um, So I see it all the time. When I first started going into this, the let them die, why are we doing this? And recently we sat in a Mogador High School with Jerry Craig as one of the panel speakers. And at the end, they can write questions. The audience can write questions. Somebody asked the police officer and the EMT why they bother Narcanning us if we're just going to keep overdosing. And, you know, after he was done explaining it, I turned around and I said, because we recover the entire row was heroin addicts fighting back. When I introduce police officers to addicts in the recovery, it changes their whole mindset of what they think an addict is. And by now it's probably reached a lot of police officers' families. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's great. And that's that's such a, um, uh, a most, that's probably from, from an outsider looking in, the most profound, one of the most profound aspects of the program is you're changing an entire culture, mm-hmm. you know, and an approach in the community. And so certainly in the using community, those that are struggling, that's just, that's fantastic because you're perceived then differently because of that. Well, one of of our goals at the outset was to try the best we could in our way to help remove the stigma so that people were willing to talk about it. Because for us to truly combat something of this nature, it takes an entire community's response. So if you can remove that stigma, um, people will talk more freely about it. And like Nicole says, you know, we like having as many um, one-on-one conversations as we can because that's when you change people's minds. Sure. Right? You you open them up to other possibilities um, so they don't have a, a, a very, um, I would call like a fixed mindset about it. They have more of a, a free nature type open mindset about it. Yeah. Now let's go back and, and talk a little bit about something we talked before this interview or we discussed before the interview, and that is the concept of um, many of, of these people that come into your program, you sent for out-of-area treatment. And what, if anything, in the future is going to be done to further connect them with resources when they come back? Because I think you said 90% of the people that you send out of the area come back. And later on, after they've completed their treatment program, or hopefully after they've completed. So what next for them? Well, usually when they're about to come home, we give them options, different places that they can go. We have some faith-based sober living. 
we have some non-faith-based, um, ultimately it's up to them their next step. And when they tell me what they see themselves doing, I try to hand them over the tools and the resources. Sometimes we, they didn't have clothes when they came home, so I've donated my own clothes, a lot of them. Um, sometimes they don't have food or we, we provide them with everything that they need, um, but it's up to them what their next step is. And unfortunately, a lot of them, they do go back home. They go back to the same people, places, and things. Um, we still have altogether, United States-wide, a 70% success rate in the recovery. So and going back to metrics again, how is that measured? Um, Perry or the Gloucester model, they, you know, follow up and keep following up. And I sometimes once a month will sit down with our book of intakes and I'll call. Um, I monitor them on Facebook too. So when there's like a negative post that you, we ultimately relapse five days before we pick up kind of like it starts mentally before physically. So it starts mentally, a trigger five days beforehand. It works in your subconscious, yes. works, works, works. And Sometimes finally, it's boom. an impulse or you go back and forth. And and before in my addiction, I wouldn't tell somebody I was struggling, like, hey, I'm in a dark place. I would keep it. And then that would ultimately send me out. Whereas when they start reaching out and say, I feel this way, we're immediately on it. Like, I'll go pick them up and take them to a meeting or do something. I spend a lot of time um, building the addict back up because we come into it beat ups, no self-worth, no self-esteem. We don't feel like we deserve recovery. So I put it in our volunteer to do that. Just do everything you can to build their self-esteem back up and show them that they are worth getting recovery. Okay. Speaking of volunteers, um, you, you do have a lot of volunteers that your program relies upon. What qualities do you look for in your volunteers? Um, we accept some that are in recovery, but I always ask that it's over two years um, into recovery to do it. Uh, mostly it's parents, parents who have either lost their children or their children are in recovery or still addicted, and they just want to give back and try and prevent anybody else from going through what their family went through. Um, we don't, most of that, we have some that are social workers. We have some probation officers from Cuyahoga County that are volunteers, mm -hmm. two of them, I think. Mm -hmm. So people that want to get involved. So what do they need to know about that? Do they need to live in your community or where can they be located and what do they do? What do your volunteers do? So uh, currently our volunteers, we refer them as community guides through our program. And I believe we have 18 currently. Um, for Berea and Olmstead Township, we, we share our guides. And um, most of them live within probably, you know, 15, 20-mile radius of our cities. Um, but they'll help us with the intake process. Um, so if, if we do have someone come on station, we want to start that relationship uh, between them and the program participants right from the beginning. So they'll come um, into the station yes. and help with yeah, that. We have, we have Physically, call, they'll be. Yeah, we have a call-out list, mm -hmm. and um, they'll, they'll come into the station, help us out. They'll help us make some phone calls. Uh, but they also do other jobs as well. You know, They help us with fundraising. They help mm -hmm. us with transportation. Uh, because not everyone has the, the hours available to come in to assist, let's say, with an intake in the middle of the day. You know, they're, they're working their job or, um, you know, maybe have family commitments. Um, so, you know, for our guides, we encourage people to volunteer to help us 
even if they really cannot work directly with the program participants themselves, maybe they can help us in 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 an administrative way. There's just a lot of different jobs that we have that need to be done. Um, Because, you know, in reality, when Perry first came to Ohio, you had one person who was doing everything. And that was Nicole. And so, you know, what, what part of what our, our, one of our goals was to have a group of people that we could um, put in place that would help run our program. So by extension, taking a load off of her shoulders um, so that we're not constantly picking up the phone and burning her phone up, um, you know, asking for help. So, you know, it's, it's been so far as um, having people that were retired consultants come in and help us with uh, a policy and procedure development. So it's That's really fun. run the gamut and, yeah. and we're very thankful for all of their help. That's great. So how many programs do you have up and rolling now in the state, Nicole? Fifteen. Wow. Right now. Yeah. Fifteen. That's tremendous. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we have three more in Cuyahoga County alone that are that are looking. I don't want to say any names, but there's there's three more in Cuyahoga County added on to the two of us that are already doing it that are that are seriously looking at it um, and, and probably going to, you know, actually sign on in the very near future. I'm I'm well, I'm pleased with how it's going, so I am um, taking a step back from the police departments and targeting the schools. Oh. Um, it's bad. We're having a lot of 15 and 16 year olds overdosing. So, but they're, it's to a point where I'm not chasing the departments. They're chasing us. Mm-hmm. They're coming out and asking us and, and it makes it a lot easier. So sure. That's you, terrific. You should find some, somebody like me real quick. Yeah. So, and, and that's fantastic in that in the community, because you've started this program and it's been going now for six months, it's become visual in your community. Yes. And they can sense that you're doing something, that you're taking action. Yes. And I think so many communities are tired of this, all this talking mm-hmm. and no action happening. But now you've got a program that's really, it's, it's become effective. And it's something that the community can see action. So that's great. Well, it's a work in progress. And, and that was our mentality exactly. Because, again, when we took our first intake on August 3rd, we weren't ready. But we had to take action. We knew we had to. So, um, you know, for us, maybe we put the cart in front of the horse a little bit. But that's okay. Because for this situation, it needed it. It really did. Sure. It's, it's, it's beyond an epidemic. Um, it's a public health emergency. Um, and, and it really, we, we're trying to marshal as many resources as we can. And there's a lot of great people out there doing great things. Um, a lot of it right now is bringing people together. So we're not duplicating efforts, Mm. right? And so that's, that's part of what we've been trying to do too, is identify who the players are in the community so that we're not duplicating their efforts, that we're complementing their efforts. That's great. So what's next for the program? Um, right now for us, it's putting those final pieces in place so that we have that template that we can turn back over to Cuyahoga County. We're going to be, we met with the Adams board once in Cuyahoga County. Um, and we're going to be going back again, um, but with some of our community partners this time. Um, so that's to, to me, I think is going to, um, be that tipping point where, where we're going to get, um, you know, maybe even a little more exposure from the, on the at the county level than we, when, than we have. Um, so it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's an important time for us putting those final pieces in place. Um, because now it's, it's really about getting the word out. Outstanding. Any final comments from the two of you in terms of the impact that Perry's having in your community? 
Well, you know, here's what I would say. Um, I, I think a program like this is needed. I would like to see more police agencies sign on. I would like to see more police agencies get involved. Um, even, even if they decide not to do this program in particular, um, but just to even, like I said before about the complementing each other's efforts. Um, the one, one thing that I do like is that because other agencies have found out about what we're doing, they're referring people to us. They'll send people our way or they'll send them to other you know, peri affiliated agencies. So to me, that's, that's a big deal. You have individual officers, individual departments that maybe aren't ready to sign on, but, but they are very cognizant of the problem and they're trying to get people help, even if it's just sending them to us. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, sharing your story with us today. Thank you for having having us. Okay. We've been joined today by Sergeant Pat Greenhill of the Berea Police Department, who's the program coordinator for community engagement, as well as the sponsor for Perry, as well as Nicole Wamsley, who's the champion of the Police Assisted Addiction and Recovery Initiative, Perry, for all of Ohio. So once again, thank you both. Thanks, Greg. This is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover Two Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover Two Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover Two team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.